is you need to go in and help them get along. Mm. And so I think that's really important is that, so, so if you're in at work and you've had three conflicts and you think you're in the wrong place, you need to ask somebody to help you work through it. Mm. If you're in your marriage and you've had a number of conflicts that you've never resolved, you know, and your only option is just don't bring it up. Right. But it makes you feel more emotionally distant from your spouse. What do you do? You need to ask somebody to help you. If you're at Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you have to go on, and it's not something you can opt out of. You're either growing or shrinking in your faith, and we want to be part of your growth process. We want you to be strong in your faith, know what you believe and why you believe it, and be able to critically think for yourself along the way. Yes. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Good to be with you, everyone. I hope that your new year is starting to play out well and you're getting our, yourself on a good trajectory. And we hope that the study of Philippians has kind of helped you do that. It's, it's brought some new insight into things that you can weave into your everyday thinking and your everyday life so that your faith is stronger. Because I'll tell you what... Uh, life's too short to be shallow. So it's good to be with you, and I'm glad we're doing this series. And I'm really excited about the next series that we're going to be digging into. But today we're just going to be wrapping up good old Philippians. Yeah, we are coming to the end of our study of Philippians, and it's just an incredible letter that Paul yeah. wrote. Mm -hmm. This letter has tremendous impact on Christianity today and throughout all of the centuries that since it's been written. Yeah, right? a huge uh, impact, yeah. It just once again proves the point that the... Uh, how important what these eyewitnesses of Jesus believed and taught and how that can still affect us today. A lot of people yeah, go, getting... well, the Bible was written so long ago. How can it be applicable to me today? And it's still applicable today. Yeah, we're getting a firsthand. I mean, the, you know, Paul was a firsthand uh, witness in the first century of who Jesus was, what he taught, that he knew the apostles, right? There were eyewitnesses to everything. And, and then, you know, many people believe that he knew of the crucifixion and saw it and anyway so we're getting firsthand accounts here it's powerful stuff absolutely and this letter reveals that when people connect directly to jesus they're redeemed by him mm -hmm. their lives are really yep. filled with joy yeah um and our goal in studying this letter was to show how we must choose to live in the kingdom of god mm -hmm. each day even though we still live here on an <laughs> earth and yeah. and we're still influenced by the kingdom of this world yeah we still have to make that choice every single day the great in follow. between. Yes, the great in between, as you say, Pastor. So uh, why don't we why don't we cap off the end of this series? How to make lemons out of lemonade, or how to make <laughs> lemonade out of lemons um, when life throws us all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, so. I mean, I always get the memes or cliches backwards. You know, right. <laughs> I always get lemonade out of lemons. Dan, yeah, well, Dan, well. Uh, Dan did that during the discussion questions yeah. the other day, and did I he, mean, he I says, did "Hey, today, I want some lemons out of lemonade." Uh, or I want some lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it, whatever. It was those it cliches. Happens. It happens. So anyway, let's start dig into chapter four, because I think there's about four or five biblical principles here. And and one of the things that Paul does is in a lot of his letters is he starts off with the main theme and why it's important and how it should be applied. Mm. Uh, and then at the end, he takes care of uh, kind of housekeeping items sometimes, but often like here in particular 
the fourth chapter of Philippians, he, he writes really powerful stuff in his housekeeping stuff. It's not disconnected from the point of the letter, but it's kind of like, a, oh, by the way. A PS almost. Yeah, like, include this. And so like verse one, he caps off the entire letter in verse one by saying, therefore. So based on everything I've written in the first three chapters, which we've dug into those, and it's pretty heady stuff. Therefore, right? we need yeah. to figure out why this is there for. <laughs> yeah. What this is there for. This is for a there he says my brothers and sisters you whom i love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm in the lord in this way so he goes so in the back way that he told us how to live like Mm. if you remember he says look you need to find your righteousness in christ and christ alone not in your own works this is very important because this is where identity is built and a lot of our our relational problems and our annoyances and our inability to forgive people comes from the fact that we are building a righteousness on our own selves, Mm. not on Christ. When you build your righteousness on Christ, it's easy to let go of the past. It's easy to forgive yourself. It's easy to forgive other people. It's easy to not be offended by people. It's easy to stand for the truth because you're not worried if people don't like you. It's easy to uh, give up codependency and anxiety and relational conflict. It's, it's Mm. easy because you don't now remember what he said. I haven't grabbed a hold of it yet. (laughs) I I know that that's where I want to end up. I don't do it perfectly, but I am moving in that direction. And so he says, look, therefore we need to live on that. And notice what he says next in verse two, I plead with Uodia and with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, so he's writing into someone particular here, Mm. help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. So what is he saying? He's saying there's these two women, Iodia and Syntek, who were on his team in Philippi. They worked in building the church. They worked in doing other ministry alongside Paul, and now they can't get along, Mm. okay? They have a conflict. And so the principle here is that people have conflicts. Even people who have the same intentions, who are committed to the same mission, even on the same team, they have conflicts. So what does this mean? Well, If you get married and you expect never to have a conflict, you'll be sadly disappointed. (laughs) When you have children, you must expect conflict with your children. You just have to wait for it and expect it, okay? And when a conflict happens or your child does something that's wrong, do you freak out and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is terrible because I'm a bad parent? Or do you say, I fully expected this to happen and this is my opportunity to build and teach character? right? And so you have to expect that when you go to work and you working for a company, and even though you love the company and you're fully involved, if you expect to never have a problem or never have a conflict with anybody else, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. And the reason why you need to set proper expectations about this is number one is it gives you a healthy understanding of other human beings. You know, you, you don't have this illusion. And number two, you don't have an illusion about yourself because you realize I, I don't treat people perfectly either. Right. Right. People have 
cause to have conflict with me because I'm not a perfect person. Mm. Now, if I'm building my righteousness on myself, well, I can't live that way. You know, it's not my fault. I blame everybody else. But if I'm building it on Christ and someone points out a flaw, you go, well, there might be some truth in that. Maybe not. See how it gives you that freedom to not be personally insulted or hurt by it. Right. You know, so that's so important. And so I think often we view conflicts as a sign we are in the wrong place. You know, oh, this is the wrong marriage or this is the wrong friendship. I'm in the wrong career. Uh, I have the wrong friend group of people I'm hanging out. And often it plays over into the most important place, the church. Oh, I'm, I'm, this is the wrong church for me. Because right? we had a disagreement about something. Yeah. Now I need to leave or they need to leave because yeah. we had a conflict. Yeah. And and here here's what it is. I you know, I've talked about the whole notion of threes and the laws of threes and principle of three. You know, I, I've talked about threes and threes pop up all the time from the Trinity down to all you know, mm-hmm. all across the board. It's an important number. It's an important number. And one of the things that's really interesting about it is I call it in church or in conflict, it's a law of threes. You get married to somebody, you have a big conflict and you go, Well, nobody's perfect. We can't always have a perfect relationship. Then what happens is then you have a second conflict, right? That you can't seem to resolve and you say to yourself, well, maybe gosh, that puts in a question. And then the third conflict that comes up, you're done. Mm. Three strikes and you're out. You know, it's kind of, it works and it works that way at work. You know, you go there, you have a problem at work. Okay. And you have a big conflict, maybe with your supervisor or your supervisor's supervisor or a coworker, right? Right. Or someone on another team. You have a big conflict with them. And that first time you go, well, they were just having a bad day or I'm having a bad day or whatever. You kind of discount it, right? Then you have another conflict and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what does this mean? You're da, da, da. But then the third conflict, boom, you're done. You know, okay, I can't get along with this person. I can't work with this person. Or I'm. you start thinking I'm in the wrong place, Mm. right? This happens in the church all the time. You know, church leadership or your small group or whatever. They make a decision. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I, I don't really like that, you know. And then the second time you start questioning. Third time you're done. Three right. strikes and you're out. And so we become very quick to judgment, right? Mm. As opposed to, well, maybe if you would have stuck around and shown a little grit, You know, instead of just trying three times, I was listening to a TED talk where the gal stood up there and she was saying, talking about failure and mistakes Mm -hmm. and, and difficulties. She says, do you know what the average amount of failures you have to have before you will find success in anything you do? She says, it's a minimum of 10. Hmm. And you know what she said? Most people give up when, what number? Three. Three. They try three times and then they give up. And she, and her point is, is that we are short selling ourselves from experiencing anything. Mm. So here you have Uodi and Syntec who can't get along. They're in the same church on the same team and they've worked with Paul and he's saying you need to urge them to get along, right? And he points out, how do we urge them to get along? Well, first and foremost, they contended by my side. So they had aligned core values. Uh, We're not talking about unbelievers or people outside the church persecuting you. We're talking about people on the same team. And then the third thing, the next thing he does, I think it's really interesting. He goes, my true companion helped these women. So he asks for a mediator. He doesn't tell them just kiss and make up and get over it. He says, you need someone help, have someone help. And he says, you need to go in and help them get along. Mm. And so I think that's really important is that, so so if you're in at work and you've had three conflicts and you think you're in the wrong place, you need to ask somebody to help you 
work through it. Mm-hmm. If you're in your marriage and you've had a number of conflicts that you've never resolved, you know, and your only option is just don't bring it up, right? But it makes you feel more emotionally distant from your spouse. What do you do? You need to ask somebody to help you. If you're at church and you've had a conflict or a couple conflicts, you need to ask, right, in order to help you work through it and get down past the uh, emotionalism. Most important, get past the false beliefs, which is due to gossip. That's usually what happens is we get things in our in our head, and then we're offended. Why? We get offended and annoying and judgy. Why? Because we're building a righteousness on our own achievement, okay? Mm-hmm. Our own sense of justice or whatever may be the case, instead of building one on Christ. And so that's where most of the conflicts in your marriage, with your kids, at your work, and your church, wherever, come from, is what he talks about in chapter three. And that's why he says, look, you need to be like me, press on towards this upward call. Because the more we get closer to that, the the stronger your family is, the stronger your marriage is, the stronger your relationship with your kids. In your work, you become a better employee. You become, you know, you become more of a leader and influential because you're not caught up in the politics and the pettiness and especially the gossip. You know, gossip is a massive thing. And um, since, and I know this is salty to say, but the research points it out, is that gossip in workplace has gotten worse since women have entered into the, into the uh, workplace, predominantly in the corporate world. And so uh, it's really important to understand that uh, psychological research points out that what men do is when they have a conflict, they tend to go at you, right? Men will throw a punch, right? It's, but women, and this is proven, what they do is they use character assassination, and that's predominantly gossip. So what they do is they will make accusations against other people in the workplace. And it's called uh, today in the workplace, it's called backstabbing. Right. Mm. And so what happens is people uh, get their their reputation assassinated. It's character assassination because they can't you know, they're not frontal assaulters. Right. Guys are, you know, Um, you know, guys will come. Well, I don't like you and I don't want to work with you, you know. But then what will happen is through gossip chain, uh, reputations are destroyed. Right. In many, many different ways. And so I think the way you avoid that and not get involved in that, whether you're a recipient, whether you're a guy or, you, you know, who does it or a girl who's a recipient or a girl who does it is you build your righteousness in Christ. And right here, when you're involved in it or you're getting caught up in it, you have to seek outside help. That's what he's saying right there. Right. I think unresolved conflicts, one of the biggest issues that, that plagues mm-hmm. almost any major relationship right Right. like Mm -hmm. especially for me like one of my a set of my closest friends that I was teaching dance with um now I can't even hardly talk to him because things devolved so far through unresolved conflict and each of us just deciding to complain to people rather Mm -hmm. than resolve it and no one stepped in to say let's fix this and so it's like I lost a set of friends that I I really valued at the time but it just evolved so bad because we didn't resolve that and we were both building on this self-righteousness of well i'm right they did me wrong yeah and therefore they're in the wrong and i can't have any kind of forgiveness and i can't even have a conversation with them and and so it's it's painful to see that happen and, yeah. and it's it, can and it happens really, a lot and it happens a lot these days and i don't know what has led to that but it's just a lot of this impersonal of not wanting to have a conflict. And I think it could even come down to this idea that the world has gotten so polarized of, well, if you do one thing wrong to me, or if you believe one thing that I don't believe in, 
then I can't even talk to you ever, right? Like right, that ideology exactly. of like, we had a disagreement over, you know, X thing. Mm-hmm. And therefore you must believe blank, 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 blank. And you're a bigot or you're a crazy left-wing radical or whatever. It's right. like, it in, in, infinitely polarizes us immediately. And that's just the right. way the world works these days rather than like, oh no, we had a disagreement, but you know, I'm not going to make assumptions about the rest of their character. I just know right. I don't agree with them on X issue. When like, you build your your identity and your value on your own achievement, then you have to have ongoing affirmation that you're right. So you're a very insecure person. Right. When you build it on Christ, it's and that's why America started out and worked so well because in the beginning they said, well, we don't have to agree. Right. Because, you know, what you choose to do and what you choose to think has no bearing on me. Mm. You know, my, my identity is in Christ. And debate was encouraged. Yeah, and debate's right? encouraged. And, and I, you know, I, I don't have to kill you if I disagree with you, which is interesting, though, because back then, though, if you assaulted someone's character. You could kill them. Yeah, there, there were, I mean, there was all <laughs> there kinds was, of duels all the there time. Was less, yeah. There was less rules against murder yeah. back then yeah. over things like, I mean, the whole story of Hamilton's over this yeah. exact idea, right? Yeah. Like Consent, you know, the, we're going to duke it out. Right. And, and what would guys do? What would, would guys do is they would say, you've insulted me, so we're going to go out and do what? Have a duel or have a yeah. fight or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a frontal assault. <laughs> and it's like, so now it's like, yeah, it's just crazy. Isn't that crazy? How interesting. Yeah. yeah. The, so, isn't that interesting? Just two verses. There's so much meat that you can really dig into. Absolutely. Well, talk to me about the next principle. Well, I think what's interesting is he jumps into verse four. He goes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So what we do is, I think this is not just a good idea. What Paul is doing is he's commanding the Philippians, you need to rejoice. Mm. He goes, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be an outwardly joyful person because, I verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. So joy is not obnoxious, and it's not harsh. It's gentle, but it's infectious, right? Mm. Uh, he says, I want your gentleness to be evident to all the Lord is near. God's not far. Now, I think this is a direct reference. Most scholars agree with this is that in their mind, many of these people who are becoming Christians were under the impression that Jesus was going to come back before they died. Like he was coming. Yeah. It's a common theme through the right. Yeah. It's like, so when John writes the book of revelation, a lot of people don't, uh, they, they misunderstand the radicalness of the book, right? Because what happens is they're so busy trying to figure out what each thing means. They don't realize that in essence, what John is saying and doing in the book of revelation is he's saying, Jesus hasn't come back yet, but he will someday. Right. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. So all of these people like, you know, Paul believed that everybody believed that the writer of Hebrews says, you know, you see the day approaching, right? You see it coming. It's happening. And you know? Yeah. That phraseology is like, it's Everywhere. Just, it's just over there. Like yeah. it's it's soon. Like you need to be prepped, right? And because you've been reading through the Bible, right? You yeah. you you kind of start picking up on this. You realize, man, these people thought yeah. he was like he ascended to heaven and he'll be back tomorrow. Right. Like he's <laughs> gonna know? go on like a two year sabbatical, then yeah. he's coming back with the army and, he, yeah, he's and gonna, he's, it's all done. You know, I mean that's in their mindset. It's really interesting. And so uh he says, Look, the Lord is near. Right now, I don't know if we're going to say he's coming back at this moment, but what he's trying to say is the Lord is near. He's not far away. Listen to what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are commanded to rejoice, and the barrier to rejoicing is fear and anxiousness or anxiety. Now today, and our desire to treat anxiety in people, which I think is a noble and honorable endeavor, right? What we've done is there's this notion that, well, you can't say anything critical about people who experience anxiety, right? Because then you're, you know, you're phobia shaming or you're doing some, this is patently absurd. When you stand up and you say, hey, anxiety isn't a good thing and you need to get out of it, you're not shaming that person at all. You're trying to say as a physician or a spiritual doctor is like Paul's saying is that you need to heal out of it. How do you do that? You see, how do you do that? Well, he says, look, the way you deal with anxiety is first and foremost, as a follower of Christ, you must be redeemed. This is important to understand is you pray and petition God. And so if you got a problem or you got an issue, the first thing you should do is talk to God about it. God's Mm. shoulders are broad. If you're mad about something, go and tell God, I'm really mad about this. If you really want to get into it, go back into the Old Testament and pray one of the imprecatory psalms. People are going, what are the imprecatory psalms? Well, there's psalms where Paul says, I hate that dirt, or not Paul, but David. He says, I hate that dirty dirty dog, God. I want you to kill him and ream him out and (laughs) kill his business. There's a lot of those. Yeah, but a lot of people don't know that you know like you're reading through and it's like you think of a psalm and you're always like oh it's always like happy happy happy, joy joy joy." and then it's like yeah like when i was doing last year i read through the bible in a year and i was like i would just be Go open up my Bible that day to read a psalm that it was in my plan and it's like oh david's getting a little a little harsh here. He's, he's yeah. asking to smite people. Yeah, I'm he like, wants to smite this people. Is a hard pivot God from destroy those people. <laughs> yeah, go there. God is big enough. If you have a problem or you have an annoyance or you have an issue, the first thing you should do is talk to God about it. Guys, when your wife is unhappy, right? I know the first thing you do is you think about it. Sometimes you'll talk to her about it. Sometimes you'll talk to your buddies about it. Guess what? Flawed strategy. First thing you should do is talk to God about it, Mm. you know, and if your wife is annoying you and you feel like she's disrespecting you, tell God about it, you know, and the best thing to do is go for a walk and tell God about it out loud, verbalize it. Don't pray in your brain, pray. And to them, prayer was a, an existential effort. We think prayer is more like meditation. I sit here quietly with my eyes closed and my hands folded and, and what am I doing? I'm thinking prayers to God, right? Right. Well, that falls, I think, you know, I'm not, I don't want to make too big of a deal. This falls more along the lines of meditation, right? To them, prayer, what did Jesus talk about in the New Testament gospels when he noticed prayer? He, he compares the humble man right to the publican, the guy who goes and what does he does? He says he beats his chest and, you know, says and waves his hands and cries out to God. So people get here. And so he's, well, if you step back, you know, when you look at when the disciples in Matthew six said, how are we to pray? He goes, when you pray, say these things. So my point is simply that prayer is a verbalization. So go out and verbalize it. You know, mm. if you want to learn how to do this, go with pastor Harvey goes on prayer walks all the time where he talks out loud and you know, he's praying over things all the time. You know, that that's how you do it. And so guys, if you have a problem, ladies, if you're upset, If you're angry, if you're annoyed, 
or you're hurt by your husband, right? If you talk to him first about it, that's a really bad strategy. If you talk to your girlfriends about it, that's a really bad strategy. If you talk to anybody else about it, even your therapist first, that's a bad strategy. Talk to God first. Go on a walk, go on a jog, go on a, I don't know, you know, spelunking, whatever you want to do. Whatever your activity of choice and is. And speak it out loud to God. That's the best thing to do. The way you deal with anxiety as a follower of Jesus Christ is you pray and petition God. Only then will the peace of God invade your life. That's the only time that it happens. So that's what's so talk to God first. I mean, I think my generation has the highest levels of reported anxiety ever, right? Like we're, we're Do you think that's due because your generation is more isolated? You know what I'm saying? They live by themselves, they live at home. I they, think that's part of it. I think, you know, obviously the ability to collect data on anxiety is probably better these days. People have a better yeah. idea of what it is. But I do think it's the way we're living and the way the culture makes us feel has increased mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. then just the idea of being isolated from community and faith also puts you in a constant state of, you know, if, if all you're ever told by the culture is your dirt that happened by an accident and you're only here long enough to make us no impact and it doesn't matter anyways. And you're part of the matrix. It's yeah. like, yeah, what do you expect people are going to think about themselves right. in their life? So right. it's like the, the number one thing we see in my generation is like everyone's medicated up and it's like, there's definitely people that suffer from debilitating anxiety. Right. And I don't want to discredit that, but I think there's also people that are just unhappy or don't know how to deal with life yeah. because they haven't been prepared well. And yeah. so and their life's empty. Yeah. yeah. And then, and that anxiety I think is definitely fixable in different ways than just medicating. Do you feel, let me ask you this question. It's a salty one. Do you feel a lot of people use anxiety as an excuse? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and I think that's salty. I also think that there's a lot of kids that are on a lot of medicine that do not need, need to be, to be on that medicine. <laughs> Amen and I know that. that, that I'm not a parent, so <laughs> that's very salty for someone who does not have children to say. But I think it's a, I think there's a lot of things that we just try to numb yeah. the pain with drugs and rather than actually dealing with core symptoms and issues. And then we wonder why we're weak people. Yes. So I think that's, that's our number one go-to these days is if there's something that we don't like or it, it is inconvenient or we don't know how to deal with it. Well, there's a drug for that. We have an app or a drug for everything. <laughs> app or a drug for it. And you know what's really interesting? Because the next thing he says is is a lot of people miss this, is they is that most people quote this verse and then they just stop there and they say, Well, talk to God about it first and it'll take care of it. No. Are you talking about verse six or the one that you're no, about to talk about? I, I I'm talking about because verse six it says what? He goes, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make a request known to God, verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard you your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So he says that. And then look at what he says in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. So what is that finally connected to? Everything he said before. Everything he said before. And part of that is, look, if you want, don't let anxiety do what? Take away your, your rejoicing. Right. Okay. And the first step is through prayer and petition, talk to God first. And the second step, notice what he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Then notice this, this verse nine connects it. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, see or seen it, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. Go back to verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard you. And now he says the peace of God will be with you. So it's not just protective, it's also inside you, right? Mm -hmm. And well, how do I get that? Well, first you talk to God. And then the second thing you do is you figure out what's ever true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about those things and then do them. The second step in overcoming anxiety or fear is oftentimes missed because we don't focus on these two verses together. He says, focus on the truth all of these things, and then put them into practice. Go and do them. It is in the doing that we overcome anxiety in our lives. I was reading some research recently that was talking about people um, who are dealing with depression. And so they were, they were thinking about treating it with drugs and doing all this kind of stuff. And this, this one research study came out and said, you know what the best thing to do for people who are depressed is force them to go on a walk every single day. Hmm. That does <laughs> that that yeah go outside and go for a walk a minimum of a mile. And that helped their depression more than medication. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Well, I think it leans into that exact same thing we've been talking about where we want to either put an app or a drug to any issue or problem we have, right? Yeah. And this idea that it's like especially because apps are so prevalent, it's like he's saying think about these things that are truthful, noble, right, pure, lovely, mm -hmm. admirable or excellent. Well, if all you're seeing is on your Facebook feed, you're scrolling and you're just seeing how theoretically happy everybody else yeah. is or how screwed up the government is yeah. or how there's Chinese balloons flying everywhere. I mean, whatever it is, if you're doom scrolling all the time, what do you think is going to happen to your main mindset the entire time? I love time? that. New word, people, doom scrolling. It's actually not. A, I mean, it's it's been around for a while. But this idea is like if all you're filling your life yeah. with is these ideas of everyone else is happier than I am. The yeah. world's falling apart and it's going to explode and nothing I do matters. I'm dirt and yeah. I'm an accident and everything I do isn't, doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, you're going to have an instable mental capacity to right. work through life. But if you just go outside for a mile a day and look at how amazing this planet yes. is and what God can do yeah. and you have yeah. your phone turned off or at least you're not scrolling it, go do something. You're going to see a lot of great things to enjoy and be a part of and then you spend you you pair that with reading the bible and seeing what's noble and true and right and yeah, pure and all exactly. this stuff that's going to significantly shift what your mindset is each day and you're probably going to see a significant improvement over just pounding more drugs to try to make yourself feel better. absolutely and i think here's the thing is that we've wanted to turn kids into activists you know it's all about political power you know we want to get them into adults and then we want them to get political power and so we, they've created so much fear in the educational process and i think the real issue is helping kids learn how to grow and we as adults need to learn this number one is if i if i have fear anxiety in my life the first step is to talk to god about it out loud mm. I should do something. Yes. <laughs> Going for a walk is a great way to do it. A prayer walk, whatever. Speak it out loud. That, that helps. And then notice what he says at the rest of the chapter. He goes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. So notice how he's following this theme of joy. Mm -hmm. That you renewed your concern for me. What does he mean by that? They sent him money. 
Okay. Indeed, you are concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice what he's saying is that joy happens when you learn contentment. And so I want to have more joy. So I get rid of anxiety when I talk to God first, when I focus on what's noble, I put it into practice. And now what do I do? I've learned contentment. Uh, that helps. And then the other thing is four. he goes, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, a lot of people misquote this verse out of context. It's like they get up and you know, they're in one of those uh, challenges, you know, that they're going to do the Tough Mudder or the Spartan race and they're going to they're gonna swim through mud and eat frogs or whatever and they're right. going to do this and they get up there and they go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> you know, like as Jesus is like a, a Red Bull and a rock star mixed together, right. a steroid pill that makes you overcome. That isn't what he's talking about. He's saying, I have learned to overcome anxiety by doing what? Talking to God first. And then I focus on what's noble and put it into practice. I have learned how to be content because God, I can do this because Christ has given me the strength to do it. So it's a very specific verse. Context matters. and mm. always does in passages of scriptures. But then he goes on in verse 14 to say, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now notice what he says. I'm content. I didn't need the gift, but I'm really glad you did. Why? Because as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Okay, here's what's really important. I don't desire your money because I'm already content. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. You see, why do we give? Because it is credited to us as righteousness. It is deposits in spiritual accounts. What mm -hmm. it does is it grows the size of my heart. It grows the size of my faith, the strength of my faith, the tenacity of my faith. If I may be uh, so salty as to point out that people who church shop, People who bounce around from church to church to church and have trouble getting involved. People who say, well, I'm trying to connect. And I, you could, anybody could ask them this question and say, well, do you tithe regularly to a church? And I guarantee you 100% of the time, the answer will be no. Mm. When, when you're not a generous person, you cannot connect. You know, you, it, it, what you're trying to do is not working. It's like, I mean, I have so many illustrations of this. It just doesn't work. He goes on to say this. Let me finish out the passage. He goes, he goes, I don't desire your gift. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now, remember we talked about Epaphroditus yes. in the second yep. chapter who almost died yes. to bring it. He says, they are a fragrant offering. So what is he saying? It pleases God. It's an acceptable sacrifice. Please pleasing to God and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus to our God and father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he writes a few more things to just cap it off. And I, I just think what's really important is that generosity in your own life is a spiritual issue. 
what happens is Satan always tries to get you to look at the amount. Mm. He always does. He says, well, you gave this amount. And so we focus on the amount. And what God is always focusing on is the spiritual credit to your spiritual account or the size of your heart. And so I have a teaching on this. You can uh, text, uh, what is it, FH? FH give. FH give to whatever that number is. 54123. Five four one two three, and it, it it's it's like I don't know if you've ever heard in taxation the Laffer curve. Uh, it ta- it uses that principle to talk about how should I give? What there's a sweet spot of giving, and you need to find yours. So I think that's really important. Is that we realize is that the best way to overcome fear in your life, develop a generous heart. The mm-hmm. best way to overcome fe- anxiety in your heart is to do what develop generosity in your life. The best way to connect to community and feel that you're bounded to other people is to be a generous person. You know, the more you do that, the more you open up the door to rejoice in the Lord. Mm. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for going through all four chapters of Philippians with us. And um, obviously today we focused on chapter four, but just this, this study has really opened my eyes and what was really going on. That context really matters and just some great Great advice from Paul as far as how we should be living our life and finding joy. We should be approaching mm-hmm. God in prayer. We should be doing something, having yeah. action, not just sitting and doom scrolling and hoping to get better. <laughs> yeah, and finally work. having that contentment that he talked about, being happy <laughs> no matter how, excuse me, Bless no matter you. how... Uh, you know, how bad or good things are, you should be content in what you have and what you are doing in life. And those are all great principles that we can enact today to really increase our joy overall. That's how you make lemonade out of the lemons that life gives you. You got it in the right order. Good job, Pastor. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. (laughs) Blessings to you.